0: Welcome to The Sound Off by Safe and Sound Schools with me, your host, Michelle Gay, presented by Entrato School Messenger, the premier school safety communications provider in the U.S. and Canada. After losing my daughter in the Sandy Hook School tragedy, I made it my mission to help protect every school and every student every day. Each week, here on The Sound Off, we'll explore the biggest issues affecting school communities from health, security, crisis prevention, and so much more. You'll hear from today's leading school safety experts to share their experiences,
1: knowledge, and inspiration. And I, I don't pretend to think I can solve the problem of every person that ever shares you know, a challenge or an issue they're going through, but I think sometimes it's just knowing someone is listening. And even if I don't have advice to give, even if the only thing I can offer is, honey, this really hurts you, I can see that. The kids are like somebody.
0: Hello, everyone. The pandemic has put a measurable strain on our mental health and experts say that for students, especially, it has reached a state of emergency. Hospitals around the country have seen a rise in kids who need mental health help. School counselors are busier than ever. While their job was critical before the pandemic, the increase comes at a time when the support is needed most. Today, we're focusing on school counselors and their integral role in school safety. In this episode, we're speaking with Molly Hudgens, author, speaker, and school counselor. She'll share her incredible story of preventing a school shooting at Sycamore Middle School in Ashland, Tennessee. Plus, schools around the U.S. are reporting an increase in student violence. What's the cause? And counselors and therapists need mental health resources, too. So let's dive right in. Well, hello, and welcome to the sound off on school safety, Miss Molly Hudgens. It's wonderful to have you. Molly, for those of you who don't know her, is one of our faves here in the safe and sound schools family. She's an author. um, She's a school counselor, and she is a personal hero for for so many of us. We are so excited to have you with us, especially on the heels of our summit molly your presentation it always it always just blows me away um but you know anytime you do a virtual event you sort of think i don't know is it going to be the same is it you know is it going to be but it was amazing so welcome welcome and and tell us a little bit about your experience at the summit this year
1: well thank you first for having me. Um it's always an honor for me to get to share our story of the averted school shooting that happened here at Sycamore Middle. Um it's it's special to me to be here when I have the opportunity to share that story, and that was one of the things about the summit that was really special for me. Is that um, the decision to to do that speech here at school in my office in the same place where the event happened um, always kind of helped set the tone for me. It's uh, it takes me back, you know. I get to be here to really experience it, so that was wonderful. Along with just seeing so many. Uh, people from across the country that have specific expertise in areas of school safety and hearing about some of the experiences they've had, but also learning uh, not just from what They got right, but what they got wrong in some cases, and just hearing so many people weigh in on how how the pandemic has affected us, it just I thought it was amazing. So I'm so excited that it went off as well as it did.
0: I know we are too, because you just never know.
1: know, (laughs) true. we plan and
0: we plan. And we hope for the best, um, but and of course there are always hiccups, and that is an important thing. It keeps us humble, well, that's right. um, you know, keeps it and keeps us on our toes. But wow, every one of you presenters really just brought it, and uh, the feedback that we're getting from our folks across the country has just been tremendous—literally coast to coast, Alaska, uh, Australia, um, Canada, Puerto Rico. It, it's, it's pretty cool. And the reach continues because folks are logging in to see the whole thing on demand as well. So I just, I can't thank you enough, Molly, for being such an important part of the summit this year. And, you know, you you presented last year, but it's, it's an interesting thing. It, it's never the same, is no. it? You know, if, every time... It's somehow a little bit different um, for the presenter and I think for the recipients as well. And, you know, last year you presented on a stage and this year where you are right now, right, in your in your office at Sycamore Middle School. So for folks that um, don't really know the 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 weight
1: of that or the importance of that, do you want to share a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, well, if you've never heard, a, heard our story, um, that's okay. The, the very brief I love version. Of, I have
0: to say, I love how you say our story. It's our story. It's just, it is, mm-hmm. it's beautiful and, and humble. So, okay. I interrupted you. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Well, um, I, I think the part about our story that makes it very special, aside from the fact that we had this happen, is just that um, it, it is part of, of a culture of our school. We are very blessed to have um, administration and staff at our school. Some of them who've been there their entire professional careers, 26, 27 years. Uh, this is my 23rd year here at Sycamore. So the, uh, the incident that occurred here happened just a little over five years ago. I have been at our school, as I said, for 23 years, but I was a teacher for eight years before I moved to the school counseling department. And on September 28th of 2016, I had a 14-year-old eighth grader come to me here in the counseling department uh, with a loaded handgun and a plan to harm people on our campus. And he told me that he came to me because he thought I was the only person who could talk him out of it. And I always say that that's probably the greatest compliment I will ever receive Um, I work very hard here to form relationships with our students, but I also work probably harder to make them feel loved. I want them really to feel like we're a family here at Sycamore. we, We use that word a lot, our Sycamore family. And so this was a student who was newer to our school. He had not been here as a fifth grader uh, transitioning through. He had started later in seventh grade and so really hadn't been with us even for a year when this incident happened. But I had had the chance to do a classroom guidance lesson with his class the day before. And the, the week before, another student had actually reached out to me with concerns about this young man and wanted me to meet with him. And I had done that on the Friday before this would happen the following Wednesday. So I had a wonderful opportunity that I didn't know I had at the time. To really connect with this kid and really hear the struggles that he was facing. And he obviously felt heard, which um, was was such an important piece of this so that the next week when he was in the middle of a crisis himself, he knew the right place to come. So he came here to me that morning. Um, it took me almost 90 minutes to convince him to give me the gun. And we were again, very fortunate. He did that with no shots fired, no lives lost. Um, And the beauty of the story, as I've shared with you before, is that after spending time uh, getting mental health help, we fought for him not to go uh, to jail. We did not want him to be incarcerated, so he was not. Um, But after he completed a program, which took many years, um, he was released and is now uh, working and has a promising future ahead of him. So for me, um, the story continues. But that's just a little bit about, I guess, what happened uh, that that sent us on this journey and had our paths cross.
0: It's just amazing. And, you know, the the ending couldn't be better. Uh, you know, like you said, the journey continues. So, um, I'm sure there will continue to be ups and downs. I think for a lot of communities though, um, for a perpetrator or a would be perpetrator, uh, it, it, it might not be such a happy thing to hear that he's been released or that he's, you know, back in the community and your community is just so unique you mentioned the culture and Mm -hmm. you talked about relationships and you say we you know you say you talk about our story and you you say we fought you know Mm -hmm. to protect him and to get those mental health resources for him and i have to say that's 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 from the outside looks Mm -hmm. like a big part of why it's an exceptional story
1: well, and I think that you have to include the, the piece about the students' involvement in that, because when this happened on that Wednesday, one of them came to me the next day and said, you know, Miss Hudgens, are you guys going to talk to us about this? Or are you just going to sweep it under the rug and act like it never happened? And I pulled them all together. I had a chance to talk to all almost 200 eighth graders together in one space. And I said to them, you know, we are going to close ranks you can talk to me about this. You can talk to anybody on our staff. You can talk to your family, but we're not going to talk to people outside of our community about this situation. And I explained to them, you know, that I I told them all, if you ever need help, if something is not right, you come to me and we will figure out something. We will find some type of resolution. And so I told them all that Friday, um, he did exactly what I asked you all to do. He didn't hurt anyone. He came to me and we had, you know, we figured out what to do. And so the one of probably the most moving pieces that makes me the most emotional when I talk about this is how they did exactly that. Um, None of them posted his name on social media. It took them a few days by process of elimination for who was not at school. They figured out who the person was, but they, um, His family never had to deal with media camping out on their lawn or questioning them. He was able and they were able to start a healing process from the beginning, as were we all, because our kids, it was still very crucial that we um, still be transparent and talk to our, our students and our families as they needed to. And even though I had no idea what I was doing, I was insistent that all of those requests come to me. Um, I felt like that there there didn't need to be other people who spoke for me about what happened. Um, I knew that I was the only person present who could comment, and I wanted to be very careful about what I said. It was important to me to protect our our school and our students and our staff and our families and to protect him. And I still, all these years later, marvel about how that worked out because had they spoken openly, any one of them to the press, um, his name would have been released. But because they didn't, his name was not, and we were able to protect that. And so when you're thinking about a a child, an adolescent who is going through a mental health crisis, who makes a, a, a choice of this nature and is really struggling and really needs help. And then you think about how if they have someone to help guide them through that crisis stage and they can get through that without harming someone or harming themselves, then when they get to the other side of that, what we hope for is a second chance for them. And so for me there are just so many parts of this story that are amazing, but it's, it's the role our students played. And, you know, you have to remember they're all adults now and they still have made the decision to honor that. And that is um, just precious to uh, It's
0: really, it's really a testament to, uh, to the community, to the culture that you described and this, this shared commitment. We are a we and, you know, you guys talk the talk. You, you know, we always say as educators, come to me, talk to me. You can trust me. You can share with me. Um, but, but you guys really, you know, he did. And, and you guys really kept your end of the bargain. You know, you really took care of this young man, helped him get through a really potentially catastrophic mental health crisis Mm -hmm. uh, for himself and for your community. And, really kind of modeled, I think, maybe maybe knowingly, maybe not, um, for everybody else in the community. Hey, it's never too late. This community, you know, right. on your darkest day mm-hmm. is still your community, and we will stand by you. We will stand behind you. We will get you what you need. That's so powerful for our young people to see and experience.
1: And for us, finding um, – I, I, it, it took a while, too, to realize that even though this incident um, did not, fortunately, obviously, did not turn into a violent act, people were still affected by that. And it, it was also, it took us a little bit of time to realize that we still had to address the needs of some students who were very concerned, who did have lingering thoughts or fears even um, about coming to school. Uh, even some of our staff struggled a little bit. And so, it, as. Initially, I felt as if this was something that just happened to me and it took me a little bit of time to recognize how this did affect everyone else. And so when I when I look back on that, I'm proudest of how we didn't shy away from answering the hard questions and we weren't afraid to to be to be protective. You know, um, I'm a mom and there's that mama bear part of you that comes out. And it was important to me to stay at Sycamore. Um, I wanted to feel as if, not that I could protect our whole school on my own, but I wanted to be here to try to stay in a place where kids could come if they were struggling. And I still think that's my purpose. Um, You know, God's given me these these amazing opportunities just like this to share our story all over the country. But then I still have these opportunities here every day to meet kids where they are this very day, you know, kids who've come in upset or struggling with something. And I'm reminded then that it's a good fight and, and I'm grateful to be part of it.
0: It's just it's 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 amazing um i'm always i'm always so charged when when we talk um but you know you mentioned something really important that i think i realized too in my journey and it took me a little while also but you know sometimes when you are at the point of impact, literally mm-hmm. of a crisis, um, the way you were, the way I was at Sandy Hook, mm-hmm. um, having, having lost a child and, and having thankfully had another one survive the building and, and then my other daughter Safe uh, on, on her school campus, the, the intermediate school campus, sometimes you know, you're, you're, you're so busy doing your own processing and focusing on who and what is right in front of you that you might not realize how impacted others around you have been. And I think it's an important thing for us to acknowledge as survivors and Mm -hmm. and to realize that there there are, in an an incident like this, many survivors and many different survival experiences, right? So some kids that day had no idea, right? Mm -hmm. They went home and felt fine and safe. And then they started learning about what happened in their school. And, and teachers and, you know, and then it starts to set into people's minds and and that if we don't talk about it, if we're not transparent and we don't create a safe space for those conversations, that can turn into post-traumatic stress, which is understandable. You know, you would expect there to be some stress and and trauma after, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, any kind of near-death experience or near-miss or, you know, what if, or that could have been me. But if we don't address it, it becomes dysfunction. It becomes post-traumatic stress disorder. And then we start to see, you know, behaviors that sometimes we don't recognize at first, Mm -hmm. you know, weird, repetitive things that, that people do to just try to, to Mm self-soothe and, um, and sometimes substance abuse and sometimes, uh, you know, relationships become unhealthy as a result. So what was the, you know, you said your eyes sort of became Mm -hmm. open at some point, like it, really it wasn't just me that experienced this and was traumatized by
1: this. Right. I, th- I think for me, it was uh, probably started with that first young man coming and saying, are you all going to talk to us about this? Because we assumed they all went home that day. They knew that a gun had been found here at school. They didn't really know the situation in which that had occurred. And I didn't know at the time if that was something I would ever talk about. I, I really wasn't sure. Um, and so I think that initial child mentioning that this needed to talk, be talked about and then meeting with the kids and having them ask questions for almost an hour made me realize they needed, you know, to have those questions answered. And when we live in a society like we do where there is uh, such easy access to news and to social media, it, it's amazing how, you know, I think about when the incident occurred at Sandy Hook, I knew about that immediately and spent almost all day long in my office watching the news. And I did not know one person um, connected to Sandy Hook until I met you and Alyssa. Um, but that touched me deeply. And and there were a few kids, not many, but a few, because, of course, we're a middle school. And this you know, I know that this was an elementary school setting, but there were a few that came and, and asked some questions about, what was our safety plan at school? You know, so it made me that really made me realize even years prior to our incident that kids are affected by things that they hear about happening on other campuses, even if they're not connected. And, and teachers, staff members who work in schools are also affected when they hear about incidents like this. And they do well, come think back. About and, you
0: and I both mm-hmm. both with the, the Columbine experience. You right. Know neither of us was, was there. I didn't know anybody at the time. I didn't even know the community existed. Right. But learning about it in my classroom mm-hmm. I, and, and then watching it on TV, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit like, you know, a virtual experience. You're right. Imagining yourself there. You're imagining. What would you do? My school, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, you, you know, I think this this day and age, that piece of it, and, and the, um, you know, the fact that people across the country are experiencing this in some way, even if it's just on TV, they really are in their minds kind of going there. And, and right. so you, you, they can have, there, there can be that impact upon them as well. Now, you also mentioned talking to the students mm-hmm. for an hour. And again, yes. this goes back to, putting your your money where your mouth is mm-hmm. right you know we always say they can come to us they can ask us any questions well you did that mm-hmm. and you let them at any question you want and we're going right. to
1: stay here
0: and talk until, until you're, until you're, out you're of questions.
1: yep i have questions <laughs>
0: that's brave right especially for our middle school staff that's mm-hmm. brave that's brave talk about that a little bit
1: well You know, I've shared with you before, I'm probably a little unorthodox when it comes to my counseling practices and my connections with kids. I I really believe that every person comes into our life for a reason. And so when a child graces my presence, it is never lost on me, not one single time that this interaction was supposed to happen. So when this incident happened at school, and I remember thinking at one point, thank God this happened here. You know, I felt like I had been prepared for many years doing a lot of research, especially with Dr. Peter Langman, who I actually was able, of course, through Safe and Sound Schools to meet later and to now be one of my brothers as part of this group. Um, I, you know, I was in a very unique situation to deal with a mental health crisis, and when you look at across the country, how, again, because of news and because of access to things, people are aware of incidents that are happening all the time, not just in school settings. And And with the pandemic, we have faced a lot of other, you know, mental, a rise in the needs for mental health counseling. And that is that is not going away. So I feel like I'm a little more brazen in... Uh, maybe it's getting older, too, but just just saying to the kids, tell, tell me what it is, What is it, honey? What's what's wrong today? What is heavy today? Just tell me in like the, the relief they feel from expressing those things. Um, a lot of times with kids, their biggest concern is how you're going to respond to what they say. And of course, as many years as I've spent with kids, I don't i don't have a shocked face with anything they tell me. I try to act like everything they tell me is exactly what I expected them to say <laughs> because most of the time, they really just need to be heard. And, and I know from counseling for many years that a lot of counseling is about processing and a lot of people process as they share, as they talk and share their stories. And that's why I believe that you know, when you travel places and you share your story afterwards, when people come to you, Michelle, and they, they want to hug your neck or shake your hand. They also want to share something that has happened to Me them. Do. And they're, do. that I think it's because they in some of us, I hope we have that we present with having a gift for listening. And I, I don't pretend to think I can solve the problem of every person that ever shares, you know, a challenge or an issue they're going through. But I think sometimes it's just knowing someone is listening. And even if I don't have advice to give, even if the only thing I can offer is, honey, this really hurts you, I can see that. The kids are like, somebody sees that I'm, I'm in pain. Somebody sees that I'm hurting. And I really believe that healing starts with recognizing that we are in some type of pain. And the next step is sharing that with someone. I, I don't know how effective it is for people to be going through a challenge and never talk with anyone about it. I don't know that, that is a very has a very good success rate in terms of working as best practice. So... I try to always think when kids come in and talk to me that I've, I've got to figure out what their real underlying issue is. And then we've just got to meet it head on. I tell them all the time, we're going to go through this. We're not going to go around it. We're not going to go under it. We're not going to oh, It's not going to be easy. We're going to go through it, but you're not going to do it by yourself. Somebody told me one time about Job. Uh, In the book of Job, we know that he was going through this crisis and he had some friends who just came and sat with him, sat with him in the ashes. And I use that sometimes. I'm going to sit right. I'm going to be right here. It doesn't matter how many days it takes us to talk about this. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out something that's going to bring you some peace. And really what we're giving is a dose of hope. That's
0: that's profound. That's, you know, um, I talk a lot about in sharing my story, which I agree with you. It's yes. First, you need to recognize this is, this is, this hurts. This sucks. You know, this is bad. And then you have to be able to just give voice to it. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes that's just out loud to yourself. And then, and then just finding someone, anyone who, who will stand there and let you, say it, right? Right. I don't necessarily have to have an answer for you. I think sometimes we get caught up thinking we have to have an answer for Mm -hmm. people when they come to us with a problem, especially kids. But I talk about um, how some of the most profound things that people did for us, some of the most helpful things people did for us in the immediate aftermath of the tragedy and, and just the devastation we were experiencing with the loss of our daughter, just trying to wrap our heads around it, was just literally just be there. Mm -hmm. You know, we're actually very introverted, my husband and I, and, and so it was hard Mm -hmm. to just, at at first we shut everybody out and, and that wasn't working. Like Mm -hmm. you said, we realized pretty quickly that was a fail. So we needed, we needed people there. Mm -hmm. And so we had, you know, neighbors that were just like doing the dishes and the Mm -hmm. laundry and, you know, they weren't saying anything. They weren't like trying to solve anything. Um, but they were they were just there cooking meals mm-hmm. and you know can i get you a glass of water and you haven't mm-hmm. eaten in a while and um, so i love that just you know sitting with you in the ashes that's that's so profound and that leads me to another point you know you and i are public school educators mm-hmm. right so we've talked about this before um, it can be a real challenge if you are a, a person of faith and the beautiful thing about our country and our public schools is there are many of us walking in and around and through the halls that that do have a faith background or or some kind of belief system that that guides us and and they're all and we're all different and it's just so beautiful um but sometimes it is as a an educator or a leader it's a challenge you know you really want to mind the line Mm -hmm. and 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 sometimes you you worry that you know maybe you are sharing too freely of your faith you don't you know what is that what is that line sometimes um but sometimes it's important to just be yourself. And you did that, um, particularly with this young man and you do it in your speaking too. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Is it hard? Is it, is it a worry of yours or is it just like now you're like, you know what, if there's anybody entitled to just speak freely, it's me.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, I think, and I've said this many times, I think that was probably the first incident in my life where I really had to step out on faith. You know, I had grown up in a faith-based family, um, had heard about God, had talked about, had had been part of prayer, had, you know, had um, a life where we were centered around that. Um, But like you said, at school, because of certain rules and laws, we follow what is legal, and I'm very careful about that. But on this particular day, I remember thinking I don't have anybody else. Nobody in the world knows this is going on right now, but me and I have to protect him and I have to protect all of them. And I want to go home tonight. And I, you know, many times I would hear these things and I've shared this, just, just thoughts in my head, you know, um, one of them was you will go home tonight. And one of them was, you're going to have to talk your way out of this. And, and I think the Lord gave me those thoughts and I, and so that's why I always say I cannot take credit for this there were there were words that came out of my mouth that I there was I don't even know that I had time for my mind to process or form them so I know that they were a gift and so I think about how in that one moment you know I I asked him um or I said to him I felt like God had a purpose for his life and and he asked if I believed in God and I Remember, as I've shared in the story, and my heart sank, I thought, Oh, why did, you know, why did I say that? But I responded with, Well, I do, but I feel like you don't. Is there a reason that you don't? And he told me, I have asked for help many times and I've never gotten any. And I just said, Well, you know, what do you think this is? Uh, maybe, maybe God wasn't telling you no before. Maybe he was just telling you to wait. And I remember thinking at that moment, he, wanted to have this conversation about God. You know, I may have mentioned that initially, saying I felt like he had a purpose for his life, but he wanted to talk. He, he, he That struck a chord. And in a situation that at times was very quiet and calm and other times volatile and scary, this seemed to be a, a, a peace, an even ground. that, um, And I grasped onto it with both hands. And I remember thinking you know, I'm going to kick this door wide open. You know, you, you so that, that is the point where I said to him, well, um, maybe we should, maybe we should just pray about it. Would you be okay with us doing that? I, you know, I wanted that to be something that he was willing to do. I certainly didn't want to force that on him, but it was because of his interest, I think, too, that, that it seemed like it just seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed like the right move to make. And and I just remember praying like I've never prayed in my life out loud, you know, just um, Lord, protect us. And and just seeing his face and his eyes were closed, but my eyes were open and he was crying and just feeling like we had this protective agent that we would not have had, had, um, had God not given that to me in those moments. So when I travel places and I I share our story or just like we're doing with this podcast, I always remind people that um if you are looking for hope, you will find it. Um it will net if you are actively looking for it and you and you have a belief that there is something better for you, I believe it will be supplied. Now I think that comes from the Lord. I think that's a faith experience. Um, But I also know that everybody has to find that in their own way. And um, on this particular day, in this particular setting, I have always believed and will continue to believe that had we not had that opportunity for prayer and for faith to manifest itself in the way that it did, I don't know that we would have been survivors Um, I don't know how many lives would have been affected. Um, But it, you know, it strikes me every time that this happened the day before my 40th birthday. And I actually thought, wow, I never thought I would die before I turned 40. And so for me now, I believe that that life is so much sweeter and uh, it's so much more important that I try to pour what hope I have into whoever needs it around me. And, and just yesterday I called a parent about a, a child situation and the parent started to share with me and she'd had a horrible day and the lady cried and I just said, wow, we were supposed to have this conversation. And and I was was able to encourage her as much as I could, you know, to try to talk about some things I thought would help. And I look back on that and I think, wow, Lord, you know, you're still bringing them. And sometimes it's not even the kids. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we do. You're right. We, while, while we are careful to honor um, the beliefs of others, and I, I never, I never pass judgment. I tell the kids all the time, I've never walked in your shoes. I know I'll never understand exactly what you're going through. And, you know, there are kids who choose to believe complete opposite of, of what I do, but that is, um, It's never affected a relationship I've had with a kid. And I think it's because, really, they don't care what you believe. They care that you love them. And, um, you know, there's this beautiful poem by Emily Dickinson called Hope. And she says, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all and sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm that could abash a little bird that kept so many warm. And then she ends it by saying, I've heard it on the uh, in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asks a crumb of me. And I think about how offering hope to other people cost us nothing. It, it will only give you joy. And so, If that comes through faith, then so be it. If it comes through our story, sharing, you know, of course, years of such loss and heartache, you know that by sharing that, you're offering hope to someone else. And to me, that's really what faith is all about.
0: (laughs) So well said. And I'm so impressed that you you have memorized that poem. I have to go back and practice. Well, let me tell you.
1: I learned it's that poem. I learned that poem in the twelfth grade, uh, in high school. Our teacher made us memorize a poem every month, and when I became a teacher, I made my students memorize all of those as well. And what I realize now as an adult, looking back, is all of those poems: "The Road Not Taken" by Robert Frost, "Hope" by Emily Dickinson, um, "A Bag of Tools" by R.L. Sharp, are all poems that that in times of hurt or or Fear or loss, um, there were pieces of those that would encourage us. And so I look back on that and think about how wonderfully wise that teacher was to give us those because they're a gift that has carried me a long way and that I can still share with others. So thanks to Miss Margaret Patton from the 12th grade (laughs) who made me memorize that in my English class.
0: Because you're not only obviously for for learning literature and and for that experience and, and appreciating poetry but you're absolutely right the tools you know mm-hmm. she was equipping you all with tools that you are obviously still drawing upon today and in finding a way to to give hope to others Mm -hmm. and you give me such hope and and such joy and and to so many we're so grateful that you're part of our family at safe and sound schools we have so many more conversations to have miss molly um and, and I know um, folks will begin if they haven't met you yet uh, through your book and your and your story, um, please check out Saving Sycamore. It is a wonderful book. Um, it is a wonderful, very hopeful story and it has the happiest of endings, um, an ending that's still playing out in, in a wonderful way. So thank you so much, Molly, for joining us and for sharing your story and for, you know, speaking and, and training with us at, at Safe and Sound. There are so many more people who need to hear this story and find this kind of hope so that we can keep everybody safe and sound. Thank you,
1: Michelle. Thanks for having me.
0: When it comes to school safety, our friends at Entrado School Messenger have school communities covered. They deliver advanced school safety solutions that lead to safer environments for our children. With over 40 years in public safety and more than 20 years in schools, Entrado School Messenger is uniquely positioned to serve your school safety needs. Entrato Safety Suite combines the most advanced emergency management, response, on-campus notification, and parent communication tools together to create a 360-degree wall of protection against all kinds of school safety threats. To learn more, visit entrato.com slash safety suite for education. Now it's time for a segment we call The Sound Off, where we weigh in on some trending school safety stories, and today we're focusing on school counselors. When many of us think of school counselors, the first thing that comes to mind is often mental health. However, counselors also have an important role in ensuring school safety, and their roles have changed dramatically as schools have reopened. From around the U.S., schools are reporting an increase in violence, from outbursts and physical fights to suicide risks and gun confiscations. According to counselors, the root cause of this increase can be traced back to student mental health. Amy Riley, a school counselor at Mercer County Intermediate School in Kentucky told state lawmakers, what we're finding is that a lot of the symptoms of PTSD are being mirrored in our students who are going through this pandemic. And I think counselors like Amy are are not alone. We have a lot of counselors in our national school community reporting their concern and uh, not just for student mental health, but for the consequences of of this mental health impact on our students. School violence is not only a risk when it comes to physical safety. The long-term school violence issues and the other mental health challenges can contribute to burnout and low morale for staff and for families as well. So as we think about Hiring shortages and we think about uh, staff making it through the long haul, our school communities making it through the long haul, it's really important that we are attending to mental health of our students, our staff, and our families in school communities because those, as we're seeing, uh, have a direct impact upon the safety of our communities in the form of mental health. Next, while awareness around mental health is much higher, many schools still lack critical resources to support students. Some schools have at least one counselor accessible to students, but many have expressed burnout or feeling overwhelmed. The average counselor serves hundreds of students. In states like California, with the highest ratios, one counselor could serve 622 students. The American School Counselors Association recommends 250 students for every counselor for comparison. In Virginia, some school systems are adding mental health days into the school calendar in the first week of November. Districts say they're looking at all options for ways to reduce stress in school for both students and staff. And this unfortunately is just where we are. Uh, In order to reach those recommended ratios, for example, California reports that it would take an additional two billion dollars annually that's a tall order Um, and so thinking out of the box thinking creatively is certainly something that states are needing to do schools are needing to do in the interim because as always uh, schools are forced to stretch their resources far too thin but as many of our school counselors would say uh, my father included having been a, a middle school school counselor Now may just be the time to start putting our money where our mouth is. Finally, those providing mental health and emotional care to our students must also prioritize their own wellness to avoid burnout. This is imperative in the school counseling profession because burnout can lead to feelings of cynicism and detachment, among other symptoms. Cynicism in counseling can be potentially dangerous, leading to misdiagnosing or completely missing a crisis situation. Schoolcounselor.org offers some tips on how counselors can protect their mental and physical health. First, set boundaries. School counselors tend to be compassionate and empathetic by nature, which can put these professionals at risk of taking on increased workloads and extra duties. Studies show that this is when counselors are at the greatest risk for burnout. Second, protect your mental health. There are many ways to do this, whether it's through meditation, journaling positive self-talk and other methods third maintain your physical health just as important as the mental side counselors can support physical well-being through the basics some counselors also opt for massages facials and spa treatments for example you know as dr brock put it in uh, a recent episode about educators avoiding burnout this is really simply a matter of ethics According to the ASCA's ethical standards, school counselors have a responsibility to quote, monitor their emotional and physical health and practice wellness to ensure optimal professional effectiveness. School counselors must seek and take on and prioritize physical or mental health support when needed to ensure their own professional competence. Here, it's really just a matter of uh, practicing what we preach. I think a lot of uh, school and uh, mental health professionals talk about the importance of you know, taking care of yourself so that you can take care of others. And in this case, it is also a matter of practicing what we preach. And now let's end with a look on the bright side. Randy Bowen is a school counselor of 14 years based in New York. He started an evening meditation workshop to help his students at Community Health Academy of the Heights. Bowen's goal was to help kids to cope with pandemic-related stresses ranging from social isolation to food insecurity. Before the pandemic, the counselor became certified in EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Processing. Along with traditional talk therapy, EMDR can be an additional support for students who suffer trauma. Bowen incorporates components of EMDR like deep breathing, grounding, and physical awareness of the five senses for the meditation group. Bowen says he counsels from a place of do as I say and as I do, aiming to practice what he preaches. So while the school counselor started the meditation workshop to help students, he says it's become a win-win. The kids hold him accountable for his daily meditation practice too. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Entrato School Messenger, for supporting this podcast. And thank you all for joining us and listening today. Stay safe. Until next time, stay safe and sound.